Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts may be changed to truly know you and live your way. And so we pray now by your Spirit, you'd be helping me to preach your word faithfully and in his power. And we pray that you'd help us all to respond rightly, that we may be truly spiritual in how we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what does a spiritual church or a spiritual Christian look like? What does a spiritual church or a spiritual Christian look like? Well, on the one hand, there are Christians and churches uh, who are convinced that we would experience the power of the Spirit in our lives through uplifting worship, miraculous healings, speaking in tongues, spirit-filled messages, personal words from the Lord, uh, and, and so on. And to them, other churches seem dry, uh, emotionless, spiritless, uh, maybe stuck in traditions, overly focused on the Bible, uh, and maybe afraid of experiencing the Spirit. But on the other hand, there are Christians and there are churches that would deeply disagree with that, that would suggest that those other churches are actually superficial and empty and emotional, but lacking real spiritual depth knowledge of the Bible uh, and godliness. Uh, and, of course, there are many Christians and churches that would lie somewhere uh, in the middle of those two positions. So what makes a spiritual church or a spiritual Christian? I think there's a, a need for us all to come back to the Bible again as our authority, uh, to listen carefully to what God has to say to us and with an open heart seek to live how he wants us to live. Now, uh, Paul has uh, been writing this letter to the Corinthians, and uh, uh, in this part of the letter, he's responding to a number of issues that they have written to him about in a letter that they wrote. And uh, so he's dealt already with issues of, of marriage and singleness, and uh, should you eat food sacrificed to idols, and the Lord's Supper, and, and now he comes to this issue of spiritual gifts. And so look at uh, verse 1 of the passage. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, we need to understand here as we come to this first verse, is actually that word gifts is not in the original Greek, right? It literally says concerning the spirituals. And so we have to work out from the context, is he talking about spiritual gifts or spiritual people or spiritual things and so on. And the translators add the word gifts here because that seems to be the topic of the rest of the chapter. Paul's only going to mention gifts in verse 4. So perhaps here it's better just to say concerning the spirituals and understand that Paul's main concern here is what is true spirituality about? What makes someone a truly spiritual person? And the first point we see this morning is that the truly spiritual person knows Christ as Lord. The truly spiritual person knows Christ as as Lord. I guess as he begins this chapter, Paul wants to make it clear that being spiritual actually has nothing to do with gifts. Being spiritual actually has nothing to do with gifts. Uh, the Corinthian church, like many today, was a church that was obsessed with gifts. Uh, they had many spiritual gifts. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul begins the letter thanking God that they had been enriched by God in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. Uh, verse 7, he said, they were a church that was not lacking in any spiritual gift. 
and he, he thanked God for this. Uh, but they were, so they were a church that many today, I guess, would have called a spiritual church. But as you read the rest of the letter, you also know that they were a very proud, uh, divided, uh, arrogant church as well, lacking in love. There was a, they were a church that was full of problems, so much so that in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul actually calls them an unspiritual church. Because for all the gifts that this church had, they were actually ignorant on what made someone truly spiritual. They were, they were looking at things the wrong way. So what does make someone a spiritual person? Well, look how he explains it in verse 2 and 3. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, spiritual people have one defining characteristic, and it's not their gifts. It is that they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He explains here, the Corinthians, they used to be unspiritual. They used to be caught up in pagan idolatry, worshipping other gods. But when they became Christians, they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and, and they became spiritual. God's spirit came to live in them. Because in the end, a spiritual person is simply someone who has the Holy Spirit in them. And the way that you know that someone has the Spirit of God in them is their attitude to Jesus Christ. The spiritual person will proclaim Jesus Christ is their Lord. Now, of course, it's uh, more than just uh, saying the words. Anyone could say the words, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is a curse. You know, I just said them then. Uh, but you will only say the words, Jesus is Lord and mean it, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life. A, a true Christian who has the Spirit of God at work in them uh, will never deny Jesus or curse him or, or push him to the side of their life. They will confess him as their Lord and they will live for him as their Lord. And Paul reminds us here, we will never do that unless the Spirit changes our hearts to bring it about. Now, this is not the only place Paul makes this point. We can turn across to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I think it's on the screen. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. See what he's saying? If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you're not a Christian. Okay? Uh, without the Spirit, you don't have Christ either, because it is the Spirit of Christ. And that's because without God's Spirit, the Gospel will just be folly to you. You won't believe it. And that's what he said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So let's just note here the implications this has for other religions first, and then we'll come to ourselves. Uh, often people of other religions, of course, claim to be spiritual or to have some sort of form of spirituality, a being in touch with the transcendent in some kind of way. But Paul is saying here, whatever they may claim, they're not spiritual at all. They may be religious, they may be devoted, and so on, 
But if they don't confess Jesus Christ is Lord, then they can't be spiritual people. See, because the mark that someone has God's spirit is that they confess Jesus is Lord of their life. Well, that's others. What about us? Is Jesus your Lord this morning? And you confess that. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Because it reminds us what makes us a Christian is not simply that we ask Jesus to save us or that we pray in Jesus' name or that we come to church or maybe have Christian on our IC or whatever it may be. You know, all those uh, things that a Christian will do. But a Christian is someone who follows Jesus Christ as Lord, who submits to his control over their life, who, who obeys his commands, who seeks to serve him with their life. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he your king who is in charge? And if he is, then know that the only reason that's the case is because God's Spirit has changed your heart, because without the Spirit you would have rejected him. And if he's not your Lord this morning, then can I just remind you again that Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's ascended to heaven, he sits in heaven as our king and judge, he's our only hope of eternal life. And so will you make the decision this morning to submit to Jesus as Lord of your life? Now, Paul reminds us of all of this up front because uh, He's trying to explain that true spirituality has nothing to do with our gifts. What makes you spiritual or not is not what gifts you have, but whether Jesus is Lord of your life. Now, I think it's really important that we understand that because it does run counter to the practice of many churches and Christians. I think many Christians think that they are spiritual because they exercise certain gifts, uh, maybe like prophecy or speaking in tongues in particular. Or, or, or they think that uh, they're spiritual uh, if they feel certain things during, uh, during the music that's played in church. And sometimes, uh, like the Corinthian church, uh, such Christians would look down on other Christians who don't do those things as less spiritual or even unspiritual. But that misses the point, I think, of what true, spiritually, true spirituality is about. It's an alternate form of spirituality. Because a spiritual church is not a church that exercises lots of gifts, but a church that's living for Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, this opening paragraph is meant to break down divisions in the Corinthian church so that whatever we think about gifts and whatever gifts we see or we don't see in the church, it's no grounds for thinking that we're superior or inferior to another Christian. Here is the uniting thing. We all confess Jesus is Lord. Well, having explained what makes someone spiritual, he now turns to the topic of gifts in verses 4 to 11. And the main point here is that the truly spiritual person uses their gifts to build up the church. The truly spiritual person uses their gifts to build up the church. Now, notice straight away there, I haven't actually called them spiritual gifts. Uh, because uh, they're never called spiritual gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians, actually. Uh, they're the gifts of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 4. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
Now, the Spirit, of course, here in verse 4, normally refers to the Holy Spirit. The Lord, in verse 5, normally refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And to God, in verse 6, used unqualified here, it usually refers to God the Father. And so I guess we see here that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a monopoly on gifts. Whatever gifts there are, we're told they all have their, their origin in the triune God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and you find the same is true as you look in other passages in the New Testament that talk about gifts as well. So in Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts are given by Jesus Christ. Uh, in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4, the various gifts described are given by God the Father. And whilst those lists are not exactly the same as the one here, there's certainly overlap. You'll find prophecy in all, all, all of those lists. Uh, you'll find the gift of faith is repeated in those lists as well. And, and the point is this. Uh, while we're about to talk about um, the, the gifts that the Spirit brings here, the giving of gifts is not exclusively the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not his distinctive role, if you like. Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in giving gifts. Rather, the distinctive work of the Spirit is to get work in our hearts so that we confess Jesus as Lord and live with him as Lord in our life. Uh, so the fact that there is, I guess, one body and many gifts, we can see here that traces back to God himself. He is one God in three persons, and that unity and diversity is reflected in us having one congregation, but many diverse gifts. And so we come to the next point. We see although the gifts have the same origin, everyone is given different gifts. There is a diverse distribution. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now let's notice a few things here. Firstly, this list of gifts is not exhaustive. And even in the same chapter, if you go down to verses 27 and 28, there are other gifts that are listed as well, things like helping others or even administration. That's a spiritual gift. Uh, secondly, note that the gifts here, he doesn't define really what they are. Uh, I guess that's not his particular interest here. It's not his point. Uh, we can try and describe what they are here, but he doesn't say it exactly. Verse 8, he mentions utterances of wisdom and knowledge. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? That's a bit hard to tell. Uh, in verse 9, he mentions the gift of faith. I think that can't mean saving faith because uh, that's something all Christians possess. Maybe this is some kind of uh, extraordinary trust in God in difficult circumstances. Uh, verse 10, he mentions the gifts of healing. Uh, notice there it's uh, gifts of healing, plural there. And maybe that suggests that not everyone was getting healed by one person, but maybe certain diseases were healed by one person or a variety was healed, but only for a specific time or something like that. And next he mentions working of miracles, miraculous powers. Maybe that includes things like exorcisms or 
nature miracles or other examples of divine power. Uh, prophecy, which presumably means speaking God's word to his people. Uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, that seems to be the ability to distinguish between God's work and the work of, say, evil spirits. Uh, the gift of tongues. Uh, tongues here just means languages. Uh, and in Acts chapter 2, I think we see that uh, speaking in tongues is not kind of babbling in a language no one understands, uh, but it's actually speaking real languages that can be understood by people. The gift of tongues, the gift of languages, and finally the gift of interpretation. It goes with the previous one. We might call this the gift of translation, right? the ability to translate from one language to another. Now, notice that he puts the gift of tongues last in the list, not first. And uh, that's probably because that was the most important one to the Corinthian church. That was what they thought was the mark of being spiritual. Last. Well, thirdly, notice everyone is given gifts. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 11 says, all are empowered and apportioned to each one individually as he wills. And the point is that everyone is given gifts in the church. Everyone has particular ways that they are gifted to serve, opportunities to do good for his church. It's a reminder we're all important and we all have a part to play. But fourthly, notice we're not all given the same gifts. We're told to one is given this gift, to another this, to another this, to another this, to another this. And so we shouldn't think that we are the same as everyone else or to expect other people to have the same gifts as us. Uh, down in verse 29, we read this. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the answer he expects each time, of course, is no. We don't all have the same role. We don't all have the same Gifts. And so again, it's, it's a mistake to elevate one gift, say like speaking in tongues, and suggest that that's a necessary thing that all Christians should possess, and, or to suggest that if you, you don't speak in tongues, then maybe you're not a real Christian, or you're, you know, you're a less spiritual Christian than these other Christians that can. We're all given gifts, but they're all given different gifts, and they're not the mark of how spiritual we are. Next, we see that the Spirit is the means by which we receive all these gifts. So verse 7, they're called manifestations of the Spirit. Verse 8, they're given through the Spirit. Verse 9, according to the same Spirit. Verse 10, by one Spirit. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And so if all of the gifts come to us through the Holy Spirit, then it's a mistake to think that having one gift then makes you more spiritual then another, there are many gifts, but one Holy Spirit who brings them all. So many people ask then, how do I know what gifts I have? You know, how do I know if I have the gift of teaching Sunday school, for example, or the gift of administration, or the gift of faith, the gift of prophecy, or whatever it may be? I don't think spiritual surveys or these kind of things are particularly helpful at this point. I think you simply use whatever gifts and opportunities you have to serve others, and it will become clear whether you're gifted in that area or not. Well, fifthly, notice that the gifts are distributed according to God's grace. That means they are 
gifts. Okay? And a gift is not something that you can boast about. Okay? Uh, it's God's choice, not ours, what gifts we have. And so it's very foolish and proud to think that I'm better than someone else because I have this gift and they have that one. Instead, we should be thanking God for whatever gifts we or others have instead of wanting to be someone else. Well, finally, I want us to notice what is the purpose of all the gifts here. And it's not to make us proud. It's not so that we can show off or feel good about ourselves. It's not to show how spiritual I am and prove I'm better than you. It's not to gain status or position or to assure myself I'm a real Christian. Verse 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good. See, our driving concern ought to be what is best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to use whatever gifts we have to serve others in love, seeking the common good. And Paul later explains in the, the following chapters that good is the, the edification, the building up of the church. He says in chapter 14, verse 26, let all things be done for building up, to, to, to bring people to, to grow in Christ, to be, uh, to be mature in him, to be godly. You see, if I'm a truly spiritual Christian, I won't be thinking, oh, look how impressive I am because I have this gift. I, I, I won't say, oh, I have a right to exercise this gift because God gave it to me. I, I won't be proud or self-centered or individualistic thinking, oh, I'm better than you. I'm more spiritual than you. Because the gifts that are given are not given for me. They're given for others. They're given so that others will grow in Christ. And, and that's why, of course, Paul adds that great passage about love in 1 Corinthians 13 between these two chapters on spiritual gifts. It's no accident, right? So you've got chapter 12, spiritual gifts, chapter 14, spiritual gifts, and in the middle, the way of love, chapter 13. Now, Paul didn't throw in chapter 13 there simply so that pastors would have something to preach on at weddings. Uh, you know, when someone gets married, uh, I mean, it's a great passage to preach on at a wedding. But the reason it's there in the middle is because it's the key to Paul's argument. Precisely what the Corinthians were lacking in their use of their spiritual gifts was love. And so Paul says, chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. That seems to be a description of what was going on in the Corinthian church. You see, in how we use and think about our gifts, we are to be loving. We're to be focused on others and not focused on me. Because actually, at the heart of being a spiritual Christian, it's not the gifts of the Spirit, but actually the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love in particular. And so I guess it's worth taking some time to reflect this morning. What can I be doing to serve the church? How can I be building up other people so that they grow to be more like the Lord Jesus? How can I 
love them. And of course, there are many ways that we could do that. And it includes being on whatever Sunday rosters we have, for, you know, prayer and welcoming and AV team and, uh, and all of those things. But of course, there's a lot of ways that we can be loving and serving other people apart from those things in a Sunday gathering, isn't it? Perhaps we're able to visit sick people or we're able to pray for someone who's in trouble or we could share a word of encouragement perhaps over WhatsApp. Uh, maybe we could cook a meal for someone or deliver it through Grab. Maybe we can lead Bible study groups uh, or meet up with another Christian one-to-one uh, to read the Bible. Uh, maybe we could use whatever gifts we have in finance or administration or other things to help the church. There, there are many ways that we can use our time and gifts to love and serve one another. And so it's worth reflecting, how will you use whatever gifts and opportunities God has given you to build up his church? Uh, you don't have to be perfect at it before you start. I think you don't have to feel good uh, when you're doing it. Uh, if it benefits others, then I'll do it, even if it's uncomfortable or inconvenient for me. And if it doesn't benefit others, guess what? I won't do it because I'm not thinking about myself. So let's conclude then. What makes someone a spiritual person? We've seen today, hopefully, that it has nothing to do with what gifts we have, because we've all been given different gifts through God's Spirit, and uh, they're not all the same gifts. We're different, and that's a good thing, so that we can build one another up in love. Rather, the marks of being a spiritual Christian is that you confess Jesus is Lord of your life. And so you leave behind your old life of, of selfishness and pride, and you live a life of love, using whatever you've been given by God for the good of his people, that they may be built up to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. Because, after all, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things in 1 Corinthians 13, they're the fruit of the Spirit, aren't they? And they are how our Lord Jesus Christ lived, who we are called to follow. The one who gave up his life for our sins, not seeking his own benefit, but the good of his people. So will you live for Jesus as Lord? And will you use whatever gifts you have for the good of his people? Then you'll be a spiritual Christian, spiritual church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your Spirit, changing our hearts that we might confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. And we thank you that through your Spirit you have given your church gifts that we might serve one another in love and together we might grow in maturity in Christ. Help us, Lord, never to be proud or selfish in how we use our gifts or to think of ourselves as better than others. Help us, Lord, to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ as we serve others in love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.